This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. How's it going? You're listening to DubLab.com. My name's Ajay, and we're about to start off a two-hour Royal Trucks special. This weekend, the Royal Trucks are reuniting. They're doing a one-off reunion show uh, at Berserk Town Festival. It's, uh, that festival's going from August 14th to the 16th, this Friday to Sunday. The lineup is amazing every day. You can get tickets at Vacation Vinyl, Origami, or Permanent Records, I believe. Um, so if you don't know who the Royal Trucks were, uh, they were two core members, Jennifer Harima and Neil Haggerty, and they put out about nine albums between uh, 89 and 2001. Uh, so this is going to be quite a... A wide-ranging overview. Jennifer was nice enough to sit down and talk to us about the band's career, so we're going to be presenting sort of a, a linear history of the band where uh, you'll hear about how all of the records were recorded and some songs for the records, and it's it's interesting to to see what a band's whole career is like after, after going through all of their albums. Um, you, you'll all hear different things, but in particular, what I heard afterwards was that there was truly some sort of of through line from the very beginning. There, the very same ideas hold throughout their entire career. The recordings are are different, and the arrangements are different, but from the very beginning, you will hear, you know, the the same the same like kind of soul through the very end. At least that's what I got of it, got out of it, but um but yeah. So, we're going to start off the set with the uh with an unreleased song of theirs titled Love Is off their uh unreleased collection. This song was recorded in 89, but then after that we'll get into more of a a linear history and uh Jennifer will take it from there. All right. <laughs> My name's Jennifer Harama, and I have a band called Black Bananas right now, and I had a band called RTX previously, and it all stemmed from my original band called Royal Trucks. And that was started back at 88 um, in D.C., New York City, um, when I was a teenager uh, with Neil Haggerty, we just kind of, we just kind of uh, 
created our own world, I suppose, um, not really thinking about what we did as, you know, possibly uh, for public, you know, as nothing we did was, was necessarily for other, you know, other people. It was for our own pleasure and, and, you know, learning and, and having fun and these types of things. And it just so happened that people did hear, like we made a, we made an album, um, by ourselves. So I get, you know, once that, once we made the album, but we didn't have a record label or anything like that. I guess we wanted to make it for ourselves just to say, okay, well, the, that's, you know, once it's there, those songs are done in our minds. Um, and, but, people kind of really, really took to it. So it did get, like, distributed widely, and people were privy to all the work and um, the early songs and such. often said that the songs were, you know, shouldn't have been released because, you know, the, it was said that, you know, they weren't done, they were, like, just all over the map and fucked up and, and like, you know, barely discernible, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not at all how we felt about it. We were really happy with the way they sounded. That was the intention. So a little, you know, once it went into the public, that's where the some of the disconnect came in, where I where I feel like people thought that it was it was theirs to judge, but that's only that was only incidentally, as as it were. Twin Infinitive was kind of the antithesis of the first album as far as the process. Um, Twin, Twin Infinitives was kind of like a, like a, a, like a daily exercise, so to speak. It was, um, there were no songs like written beforehand. There was no particular sound in our head that we were attempting to uh, to bring forth or, you know, to bring into reality. It was more of a place that we would go, the studio that is, and um, there was, you know, whatever, we didn't have any money. So, like, if we could afford something, like, at the pawn shop or the thrift store, whether it be, like, an old record that we would play and and record scratching in the background or whether it was like a pawn shop guitar that could never really be tuned because it was warped, you know, just all sorts of things that, you know, were, those were the only things at our disposal. And at the studio, um, the engineer had, you know, different things where he would bring in things for us to play around with. And it was just kind of like a, a daily 
Well, I wouldn't say it was every day, but, you know, I don't even know how that shit got paid for, but as far as the studio time, I don't even recall how that occurred. I think, I guess, you know, Doug City paid the engineer dude, but we would just go there. Over, like, it was like, it seemed to me like a half a year that we would be going there all of the time and just fucking around and, you know, just kind of off the dome, like, Lyrics, words, just um, repetitive thoughts and ideas. Oftentimes people write songs and then go to the studio and, you know, realize them. And that was definitely not the case for Twin Infinitives at all. I mean, there were definitely records that came after Twin Infinitives where that was the MO, but Twin Infinitives was just more of a a time um, time period, you know, just San Francisco. I, you know, we were very. I mean, we lived in a big city, but Neil and I had always kind of isolated ourselves, I guess, inadvertently. Um, you know, we didn't belong to, like, any musical scene, so to speak, especially not in San Francisco, being from the East Coast. So we just kind of, like, had our own little world. And, you know, drugs came into play and such and such, and, it, you know, that tends to, to insulate your world or, you know, remove you a little bit further from, I guess, you know, the the norm as it were, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah, it was, it was all that time, just, um, it was, that was the situation. So for the Trucks' album that followed Twin Infinitives, the untitled album, for that one, you'd say that there was a, a more structured approach, a, a, a song-based approach. Yes. Yeah. That was a thing where um, a lot of the songs, you know, they were they were like stories about things that we had done or experienced. Um, they had been written before and it was like the you know once again like the antithesis of Twin Infinitives where um, the record label like you know we booked two days in some dude's garage in the state of Maryland like you know we were staying in the city in DC but we went out there and that's it we had two days um, we had the guitars we had and like the few amps or whatever the dude had in his garage. I think it was like 20, 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour. And that was that. And it was, yeah, it was very much more about the the stories and the lyrics. Um, yeah. It's a totally different process. So after putting out 
the untitled album. The next album that the Royal Trucks released, Cats and Dogs, was the last album you guys released on Drag City for a little while. Um, and then you moved to uh, Virgin, which was a major label. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Cats and Dogs? We had a little bit, like we went into like a prop, you know, a, a proper like recording studio that wasn't in somebody's garage or basement. You know, like they actually had um, the board that the Beach Boys had used uh, when they recorded Smile. Um, I don't. There was just, I, it, you know, I'd been in studios <clears throat> before when I was, had lived in New York City because I. I had audited audio engineering classes, so I'd been in really, like, big studios, like Planet Sound, where the Fat Boys recorded and a lot of hip-hop was, and I was just, like, just thought it was so amazing, but never really thought that I would ever do anything in such a place, you know. So Cats and Dogs, we actually did go into a, a, a real studio. I mean, we had, I guess, I think it was three days, three days, all told, or four days, um, so that was the first time, really, and we, we like, we were, we were, you know, we were totally into it. I mean, it basically, you know, Drag City gave, you know, gave us more money. Because there were a bunch of major labels interested in what, what they thought was Royal Trucks. Um, uh... I guess, I guess it, you know, after having listened to Cats and Dogs, I think, you know, people just thought it, thought it was a band, um, a band unit and could be mobilized on the regs and, and continue something. Not, I don't know how many people actually knew that it was just me and Neil and like the other two dudes on the record. We, we didn't, we didn't even know who the fuck they were. One of them we met. In Daytona Beach, he was at our show um, when we were in Florida. And he worked at a trophy store, and he was a big fan. And we said, "Well, if you're a fan, then get in the van." And he fucking did. He quit his job and got in the van. And then the drummer dude was from Lawrence, Kansas. He had been in a band that opened up for us, and was just like, "Dude, I want to play with you guys. Like, I'll do anything." And so we're like, "You want to play this place?" Himself out, but we didn't even know these kids. Like that was that, and it was perfect. If you have me my cake, and my, my dog, dog get a Listening to dublab.com. My name's Ajay, and you just heard Turn of the Century by the Royal Trucks off their album Cats and Dogs. 
the Royal Trucks are going to be playing a reunion show at the end of this week. Um, and so we are, right now, we're kind of diving into their catalog and exploring album by album the band's output. The Royal Trucks were Jennifer Harrema and Neil Haggerty. They were the, the core members, and we're joined by Jennifer today. Uh, she is kind of providing some background about the albums and, you know, just just answering some questions. And one of the one of the things I've always really admired uh, about the Royal Trucks was the the lyrics and the the storytelling that went into the songs. Like to me, it always seemed that the band was able to to create these fully fleshed out worlds very very quickly within the songs. And I was wondering if there were any authors or, or any particular works of literature that you could point to as as influences or anything else in your lives that influenced how you told stories or your desire to tell stories. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sure for sure. I, I I know that you know the the lives that we had. You know, the, that we had put together together, the, the lives that we had spent together, um, there were like all sorts of like weird things that we had experienced and people, places and things and situations that we, you know, we found ourselves in and, you know, it, the stories were there. It was, you know, um, about expressing them. Yeah, like you said, in, in a more con- condensed way where, you know, you don't have to read the, the whole book. You know, you can just get a sense from the lyrics. Neil's really good at editing. That was a big thing. But as far as books, I mean, I you know, I was always into Charles Williford and Donald Goins. And then early on, for sure, like the existential writers, like Dostoevsky and I don't know, lots of, you know, Philip K. Dick, all this Huxley, but Neil, like, at that time, actually, William Gibson, Neuromancer, had, or had come out, of, I guess, like, a few years prior. I went and saw William Gibson when he was in San Francisco, and just the, the lyrical nature of the adjectives he would use, and um, Neil read a book every day, like, every day, um, and he was into all sorts of different types of authors. He was you know, very into science fiction. Um, and there was like a whole J.G. Ballard period. Um, I was kind of, you know, more Charles Wilford, Faulkner, like more just uh, John Didion, of course. Like, just, I don't know, if, I don't know if I want to say didactic, but linear, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, all all of those things, you know, I'm sure, ha- you know, had an effect on how we how we presented things or how you know edited things down. But both of, I mean, but the stories were just there, you know. Those were real stories. Um, so it wasn't really so much about like 
the imagination. It was more about the, the skill in telling the stories in a very condensed way that would allow the listener to, to, to feel the experience, I guess. So after putting out Cats and Dogs on Drag City, the the trucks moved to uh, a major label, Virgin, for uh, your next record. Thank you. The uh, well, the title of the record is is Thank You. Can you uh, describe what moving to a major label like Virgin was like, and um, what you got to do because because of the move? The Virgin, at the time, there was, there was kind of limitless money, or seemingly so at the time, um, to kind of just experience, you know, other things that we, we had never experienced. And one of them was actually working with, with a producer. I mean, that was something that we had never experienced before. So given the opportunity, you know, we wanted to, to try it for sure, you know, I just want to try everything, really. So, on uh, your first album for Virgin, thank you, you got to work with a producer, and um, that producer was uh, David Briggs. Can you, um, Describe what that was like. David, I, you know, there was, he just done so much stuff. You know, the Spirit, early Alice Cooper, of course, yeah, but just weird, cool stuff that I, that I liked. I liked what he talked about, the way he went about recording, um, and just him being like a non-studio dude, like he, he wasn't like a trained, like engineer dude, like with all sorts of, um, you know, rigorous, uh, like, I don't know, ways of working, you know, that he, you know, wanted to adhere to. The only thing that he wanted to do, which really stoked us out, was to record the album live. Um, and we were like, that, that would be, that's perfect. Like, we really liked the idea of that. You're listening to DubLab.com. My name's Ajay, and you just heard Lights of the Levy by Royal Trucks off their album. Thank you. We're talking to Jennifer... Harima about that album, which was uh, produced by David Briggs. Um, it was the Trucks' first album on a major label, uh, Virgin, and uh, actually their first album where they worked with a producer. Uh, but I'll let her take it from here. We did a lot of our listening and editing on um, Cadillac's 
area was, I guess it was at the time, it was like a 1994 Cadillac um, Seville that he had rented and listened to that a lot. And we recorded in Memphis at Kiva Studios, um, which was Joe Walsh's studio at the time, and then later turned into the House of Blues years after we had been there, but um, it was, yeah, it was like pretty epic, you know, being, being in Memphis, um, just such a town, you know, just so much music history, and just kind of, but being, it was just being ourselves, you know, like, we didn't go through any kind of, um, I don't know, like, weird editing or like, or, you know, where I, I think a lot of producers, and I've met a lot of producers, that just kind of, they tend to, you know, t- tend to want to, um, you know, cut out what they, you know, would deem filler, this and that. Like, we were all, like, we were on the same team. We were just like, let's just do what we, whatever we want. And he just recorded it live, and we took all the time we wanted, and Oh yeah, it was it was a great experience. So yeah, I'm glad that that we made that decision um, to work with him in particular. So the process of recording your next album, Sweet Sixteen, which was also released on Virgin was uh, considerably different from uh, from that of Thank You, the previous album, because uh, David Briggs passed away. Um, you actually ended up building your own studio to record Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. We, I mean, we. the plan was to do the next record with David as well. Um, and uh, Neil and I bought a big old farmhouse with land out um, in Rappahannock, Virginia. And there was like a whole wing of the house that we decided we were going to, um, you know, turn into a studio, like build a studio. And that was also, you know, David, you know, we were working with David and he, you know, he was like, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's, let's not go into another studio let's spend this money and let's build your own studio let's create this and we'll work together here and so he flew out and looked at the space and was clapping around the room looking for bass traps and we took out the ceiling and made it into a cathedral style room and everything was like on point and we had gone over like gear lists what types of things that we wanted to purchase for the sounds that we were all talking about and and then unfortunately he died um and we we just wanted to see it out the way that we had all discussed um we didn't want to like scrap the whole thing like scrap the idea and like go find some other producer we didn't really feel like we needed a producer, we felt we felt more with David. We felt more like he was like a part of the band. Like he, like he wasn't didactic in any way. He just kind of let the flow. So we 
we decided just to stick to it, stick to, to the plan, um, just but without him. After the Royal Trucks recorded Sweet 16, they ended up leaving Virgin and going back to Drag City, their original label. And um, that time was a particularly prolific time for the band. And um, can you describe what, what that period was like? and uh, how you guys were able to put out so much music? Well, you know, we had our own studio now, you know what I mean? Like, we had built a studio to to record Sweet 16, and once that was done, here we are living in this big house with our own studio, so it was, like, really easy to be prolific. We're like, oh, now, you know, we just walk over here and do whatever um and there are a lot of different musicians um you know that we knew and people would come out and visit and we would it it, it was just really easy to be prolific like i said just having having this awesome studio right there um just having friends come and visit and then just different just ideas, um, as opposed to waiting, you know, having an idea and then waiting to go and book studio time and what kind of gear did the studio have. We just kind of, like, just, like, went for it. Just every day we were up to something. So we are actually going to break chronology a little bit and jump into a track from the trucks's three-song EP, which came out after Accelerator, um, which would be the, the next album after uh, Sweet Sixteen, if this all makes sense. But, uh, but you know, this, this EP was a part of the Trucks' prolific kind of time once they rejoined Drag City. So let's listen to this, and then we'll talk about Accelerator. I'm not young enough yet so with uh, Accelerator, the uh, album after Sweet 16, which is uh, Accelerator would be the first album uh, since your return to Drag City, um, basically my question is, is how it how it happened because to me the the production of that album is just so amazing like there's there's really nothing that that kind of sounds like it it's it's very very dense in in places and then it just opens up and there's there's so much space and and all of those decisions seem to to dovetail really nicely with the the format of the songs on the album so i guess my my question is how how did that all happen? Um, well, there's a few things. I mean, it was once again, it was kind of like a like an about face from Sweet Sixteen. It's kind of an opposite sound. Like Sweet Sixteen was, you know, we had all all sorts of parameters that we had put in place. Like every song had to be four minutes. Like there was just a, a whole like a, a literally a literal dense. Miss, um, 
stuff about the sound of that album. And Accelerator, we were like, we just wanted to do kind of the opposite, I suppose. You know, that was just like, okay, we just certainly didn't want to go and do the same. The, the songs were the easy part. Like, they had been, you know, we wrote those. That was that and everything. We had recorded them. I mean, it was, you know, like, to record them. We wrote them, and then we could have recorded, like, we recorded in a week. But then, upon listening to them, you know, we realized that they're, yeah, like you were talking about, like, they, they could benefit from us actually making a decision about a very particular sound. So, we invested in um, 24 channels of uh, digital EQ, um, and compression and we just kind of like shoved them into this like Cuisinart <laughs> and just produced that particular type of sound like because it had been we had we, we had the album recorded and we knew we wanted we wanted to define it sonically more and so what we did, which is what we had done for most every album, was just set some parameters in place and said, okay, so we're going to do this to every track. We're going to EQ every track. We're going to, you know, we you pick a frequency and highlight that particular frequency. We're going to pull these particular frequencies out. You know, we would play card games and like say you know if if it comes up aces then we're then we're gonna take out you know all the 19k and just played games with ourselves and did you know made decisions based on that and then you know listening back like sonically we were just really happy like we were like this yeah this is what we were looking for you know it just took us. Just took us like experimenting and waiting and playing around for the the sound to you know to become its own you know so yeah so basically you know that album every song on the album was processed the same way there it went through every song went through the same process. So, Veterans of Disorder, the album that the Royal Trucks put out after Accelerator. Can you tell us a little bit about the recording process for that, that one? That record, you know, that was once again another decision where um, uh, we had been on tour, we had been playing a lot, and we wanted to kind of go back to that, um, that, like, you know, cats and dogs or the, um, the, or like the third untitled, um, where, you know, we had songs that we had been working on when we were on tour, you know, we had lyrics written, we had, we had, it, it was organized. And so we just, instead, you know, when you, what we had, you know, of course, learned over time, having your own studio, you can 
endless amounts of time. Um, and that was awesome, but it was also, that was, it was something that we did not want for that, for veterans of disorder. So we booked studio time in Richmond. Um, I think it was, we, we did the album in five days coming pretty much like right after the tour where we had been messing around um, on tour. It was more of um, a live situation with a band, whereas, you know, Accelerator, we were talking about before, was more just, you know, myself and Neil. And we, you know, of course, NASA, there was other people on it, but not on every track. Um, there was no, like, band in place that stayed there the whole time while we recorded. It was just, you know, it was more of a, um, you know, an effort between myself and, and Neil. Um, whereas Veterans of Disorder, we just wanted to take the whole live thing and just kind of go in and record the songs we had been writing and then just walk away and not sit and fiddle about with um, sounds and such. Um, but yeah, there was, yeah, there was no sense necessarily, you know, at all that that would maybe be the last record. So it was just another like, okay, let's, let's just, let's make this record. My last question has to do with the reunion that's coming up because, uh, you know, as, as we've talked about, you, you guys have a very kind of wide ranging catalog. And I was, I was wondering what your relationship is like now that you've had to come up with, with the set list. Um, did you have to listen to all your albums over again and, did did you have a reaction to that, or was it as simple as talking to Neil and both of you just kind of choosing whatever songs you remembered? Um, what was the process like? Yeah, well, we knew once we decided to do it, we knew that we wanted to represent every record. So um, we knew we wanted a minimum of, like, one two songs from every record. So that right there, like, kind of offered some guidance, some parameters. So we knew, like, we, you know, we really can only take two from this album. Let's make, make the decision. And also just, you know, some of the albums, you know, being recorded, like, like, S.O. Dame, A Bad Blood from our first album. It was just, like, me and Neil, and I was, like, you know, playing guitar kind of like to the best of my ability, just like one notes and stuff like that. We hadn't played those songs since that time. Um, and figuring out, okay, how to, how to play this, that simple stuff. And then going to more, uh, you know, co compositionally challenging, um, songs like from Sweet 16 and such, like how, how the two of us could do it with just the bare minimum, um, guitar, bass, drums. And, 
lot of the songs, like I went, I was like, just, I just wanted to, I would look at the records. I wouldn't listen to them all the way through. I, I would just like put on the beginning of the song and then it would just be like, oh yeah, I got, yeah, that one is just totally entrenched in my memory. So I'm going to pick this one. So I, you know, we each did, we each went through every album and I picked like, three songs from every album and he did the same and then we cross-referenced and used the ones that we came up with but we both you know had put on our list and then actually then actually like kind of worked around as he was working on the guitar like figuring out which ones would sound you know sound best given the the line the way that we decided we were going to play it with guitar based drums um so it, yeah i mean i it was it was it was it was pretty awesome honestly like when we finally came up with the final set list and and order and i actually like went and burned a seat CD, you know, it's like 21 songs, and just listen to it, and like, I, because I, I hadn't done that, and um, I was just super stoked out of my mind. Like, it wasn't like uh, I, like, I, I almost felt, I felt removed from it, a little bit dis disconnected, but at the same, I mean, I thought it was like the best record I've ever heard, and I'm being really honest about that. Like, I didn't, I thought that, you know, I there would be things cringeworthy and I would like be, you know, be like, ah, oh, this, you know, not into it or wanting to listen to it. But what we put together and what I listened to when I put that CD on and listened to, over, it's like kind of the best album I've ever fucking heard. And it made me super, super happy. I'm like so excited to play these songs now. Um, and I, so I couldn't have asked for, like, you know, a better outcome. It's just really exciting, super exciting. Like, I was a little, like, scared about what I would think about it, and it blew my mind. everyone that was it that was the interview and i want to thank jennifer for sitting down taking the time to talk to us and lay it all out it was so great to hear especially the end there but all of it really and uh i want to thank drag city for helping put all of this together i'm ajay you're listening to dublab.com and uh stay tuned for more something. In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.